Plain people have a reputation. Did you know that? Several weeks ago, I was talking to someone on the phone that I'd never met about getting some of my wheat that I grew cleaned. And in the course of conversation, he said, are you a Mennonite? And I said, well, yes, I am. And he says, well, come to to this line, then your middle name must be work. Plain people tend to be known as having a strong work ethic. And I think that's a good thing. First Thessalonians 4, 11 and 12 says, And that ye study to be quiet and to do your own business and to work with your own hands as we commanded you, that ye may walk honestly toward them that are without and that ye may have lack of nothing. Speaks of being diligent there in, in providing for your needs. Romans 12 11 says, not slothful in business. The New King James says, not lacking in diligence. So diligence is a good thing. We are taught and tried to teach to work hard and to do a good job. And that is good and godly. But to what end are we working? What is the the goal? This same man yesterday is... I was working with him, actually sitting at his table, eating. Well, I'll, I'll just say this. When I got to his place, he said, now you are Mennonite, aren't you? I said, yeah. And then I said, so I'm Mennonite, what are you? And he said, confused. Now, I would say he, he's from Switzerland, and I think he would have attended a, a church there. I know he did. And coming to America and seeing so much of what he saw in, in the religion of America really turned him off. Um, and a lack of a, of a clear witness of faith. But he asked me, he said, so what is the, the Mennonite Amish view of money? I didn't know quite what his point was there. But something had happened to him that raised some questions. Some time ago, he was working with an Amish company and asked for a quote on some fertilizer. And he got the quote. He said, it's way too high. He found out the supplier that the man was getting it from and talked to them, and he could get it for less than half the price. He said, I'm not against anybody making a profit. But to make $2,000 for making a phone call, he said, is that, what's the point? Is that really a Christian way of doing business? Tim seemed a bit exorbitant. I'm not justifying him or condemning the other man, but it did raise questions in his mind. And what are the things that we are doing? What witness are we leaving? A title for a message would be The Witness of Our Treasure. In James chapter 5, verses 1 to 5, this is not written to the brethren seemingly as the rest of the epistle is. It says this, Go to now, ye rich men, weep and howl for your miseries that shall come upon you. 
Your riches are corrupted, your garments are moth-eaten, your gold and silver is cankered, and the rust of them shall be a witness against you, and shall eat your flesh as it were fire. Ye have heaped treasure together for the last days. Behold, the hire of the laborers who have reaped down your fields, which is of you kept back by fraud, crieth. And the cries of them which have reaped are entered into the ears of the Lord of Sabaoth. Ye have lived in pleasure on the earth and have been wanton. Ye have nourished your hearts as in the day of slaughter. There it says that the accumulations of these men was a witness against them. But I'd say what we do with what we have is definitely a witness. In 1 Peter chapter 2, verses 11 and 12, says, Dearly beloved, I beseech you, as strangers and pilgrims, abstain from fleshly lusts which war against the soul, having your conversation honest among the Gentiles, that whereas they speak against you as evildoers, they may by your good works which they shall behold glorify God in the day of visitation. Here we have the, the admonition to be careful and guarded on how we live because people watch. And this fleshly lust could fall into many different areas, but a lot of times money is pursued to provide pleasure in what we want to do. Colossians 4 Verse 5 says, Walk in wisdom toward them that are without, redeeming the time. And 1 Timothy 3, 7 says, Moreover, he, being a, a bishop, must have a good report of them that are without. And what I'm gleaning from this, point number one, is our attitude toward things, treasure especially, is evident to our neighbors. Our attitude is evident. What did Jesus say about money? Turn with me, if you would, to Matthew 6. Matthew 6, beginning of verse 19. Lay not up for yourselves treasures upon earth, where moth and rust doth corrupt, and where thieves break through and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasures in earth. Excuse me. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven, where neither moth nor rust doth corrupt and where thieves do not break through nor steal. For where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. The light of the body is the eye. If therefore thine eye be single, thy whole body shall be full of light. But if thine eye be evil, the whole body, thy whole body shall be full of darkness. If therefore the light that is in thee be darkness, how great is that darkness. No man can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or else he will hold to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and mammon. So how literally do we take what Jesus has to say? We take seriously what he teaches in the previous chapter about the use of the oath, about divorce, anger. But what about treasure? I think what Jesus is pointing out here, and we'll look at some verses following, is that trust in money will take the place of our trust in God. I think it's a foundational point that we need to understand. Trust in money 
will take the place of trust in God. But isn't it interesting that every piece of money that we handle, if you don't just use plastic, says in God we trust. I need a volunteer between the age of 5 and 10 to come up here for a little bit. Any volunteers? Edward, you want to come help me? It won't be hard. So you come here, and you grab a fistful of that money. Not, not to shake a little bit off. You don't want too full of the fist. There you go. Now, I want you to put your hand into that jar. Now you got to put your hand in. That doesn't work very good. Oh, you got the money in. Now, let's take it out here. Now, put your hand into the jar. Oh, it goes right in. But it didn't work very good with the money in it, did it? All right, that's, that's what I wanted to illustrate. Now, you can go back to your seat. So if you saw that, you can he, I can't, could stick his hand right in to the jar when his hand was empty. When he had a handful of money, it didn't go in. Does that sound familiar? Turn to Mark 10. Here Jesus is met by a man in verse 17 that comes running and kneels down and says, Good master, what shall I do that I may inherit eternal life? And in verse 21 it says, And Jesus, Jesus beholding him loved him and said unto him, One thing thou lackest, Go thy way, sell whatsoever thou hast, and give to the poor, and thou shalt have treasure in heaven, and come, take up the cross, and follow me. And he was sad at that saying, and went away grieved, for he had great possessions. And Jesus looked round about, and saith unto his disciples, How hardly shall they that have riches enter into the kingdom of God? And the disciples were astonished at his words. But Jesus answereth again, and saith unto them, Children, how hard it is for them that trust in riches to enter into the kingdom of God. It is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter into the kingdom of God. And they were astonished out of measure, saying among themselves, Who then can be saved? And Jesus looking upon them saith, With men it is impossible, but not with God. For with God all things are possible. When money when treasure, possessions become our stabilizing force, our focus. Jesus said it makes it almost, well, if it is our focus, it makes it impossible to enter the kingdom. And what Jesus had asked of this man here was that he open his hand so he could enter. Trust in money, trust in things will take the place of trust in God. 
In Psalm 62, verse 10, that last half says, If riches increase, set not your heart upon them. Riches aren't evil. It's what our view of them and our attitude toward them can make them. In 1 Timothy chapter 6, I'd like to read five verses there. First Timothy chapter 6, beginning at verse 5, it's describing men, perverse disputings of men of corrupt minds and destitute of the truth. And then the last phrase here, the last two phrases say, supposing that gain is godliness, with such, from such withdraw thyself. So he's contrasting those that, that consider gain having possessions, that being equivalent to godliness. And he says in verse 6, but godliness with contentment is great gain. For we brought nothing into this world and it is certain we can carry nothing out. Having food and raiment, and having food and raiment, let us be there with content. But they that will be rich fall into temptation and a snare and into many foolish and hurtful lusts which drown men in destruction and perdition. For the love of money is the root of all evil, which while some coveted after, they have erred from the faith and pierced themselves through with many sorrows. Two phrases here, they that will be rich, that desire, that passion, that drive, I want to have a lot. For what reason it doesn't say? Maybe it's to impress people, maybe it's to have those pleasures fulfilled a desire, a drive to be rich. In verse 10 it says that love of money, the love of money is the root of all evil. Desire for God or desire for things. Which is your God? Thinking of this trusting in riches, Proverbs 20, 11 verse 28 says, He that trusteth in his riches shall fall, but the righteous shall flourish as a branch. And I find it interesting in Job 31, Job is giving his kind of his final, what's uh, the word I want, defense. And he says this in verses 28 to 20, 24 to 28. He says, If I have made gold my hope, or I have said to fine gold, thou art my confidence. If I rejoiced because my wealth was great and because mine hand had gotten much. Now remember, Job was one of the wealthiest men. He's not condemned for being wealthy. But he says, if I, if I thought, or maybe even if I said or even thought, that I am something because I am wealthy, and then he goes on, Or if I beheld the sun when it shined, or the moon walking in brightness, and my heart hath been secretly enticed, and my mouth hath kissed my hand, this also were an iniquity to be punished by the judge, for I should have denied the God that is above. A wealthy man, but he knew that his heart was right before God. And, and we have that witness of him. His heart was right before God. But he said, if I would have set my heart on those things, I would be worthy of judgment. 
there's also something else in this in this verses that to come to a little different light to me as we sat at this man's table he said that they were going to say grace like they usually do and he said and you can have one too if you want I, I'm not uncomfortable in different situations but I wasn't sure exactly what to to do but it was him and his wife and daughter and two of my boys and myself and they said a grace and it was to the earth and the sun thanking for the food what does this verse say I beheld the sun and basically worshiped uh, following their grace we had a prayer too to our father a trust in riches will supplant a trust in God All right, I need another volunteer to come help me with something. And I don't have an age limit on this, but somebody, yeah, whoever wants to come help me. Who's going to come help me? Hanson's going to come. All right. So you get a handful of money. Is that all you can hold in there? Get about as much as you can. All right, that's a big handful of money. All right, so he's got a fist, all he can get in. All right? Now, let's just wait here a little bit. Actually, let's do this. Now he's going to open his hand, and we'll put that same money in it. So now we can put in one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, 10, 11, 12, 13, 14, 15, 16. 17, 18, 19, 20. I think that demonstrates. Thank you. You're back. So, he reached in and got a handful. And then when he opened his hand, we could add more to it. Point number three is that an attitude of greediness or selfishness actually limits us. You see, if I have something and I want to hold on to it, not let God or anybody else touch it, I'm limited in what I can actually handle. In Luke 12, a familiar parable that Jesus told that I think illustrates this point somewhat. And there's a few other passages as well. In Luke chapter 12, verse 13, and one of the company said unto him, Master, speak to my brother that he divide the inheritance with me. And he said unto him, Man, who made me a judge or a divider over you? And he said unto them, Take heed and beware of covetousness, for a man's life consisteth not in the abundance of the things which he possesseth. And he spake a parable unto them, saying, The ground of a certain rich man brought forth plentifully. 
And he thought within himself, saying, What shall I do, because I have no room where to bestow my fruits? And he said, This will I do. I will pull down my barns and build greater, and there will I bestow all my fruits and my goods. And I will say to my soul, Soul, thou hast much goods laid up for many years. Take thine ease, eat, drink, and be merry. But God said unto him, Thou fool, this night thy soul shall be required of thee. Then who shall those things be which thou hast provided? So is he that layeth up treasure for himself and is not rich toward God. A focus on having, acquiring, and keeping. He didn't desire somebody else's things. They were his own. And yet, covetousness. is what was being warned against in this parable. Job 1.21, going back to Job, he said, The Lord gave and the Lord hath taken away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Do you see an open hand there? The Lord gave all that wealth of thousands and thousands of animals and servants and family. God had given that and he realized that. But his hand was open and God was able to take it away and he still had a good attitude. That's that open hand. In 1 Timothy 6 again, this time a little further down in in verse 17, it says, Charge them that are rich in this world that they be not high-minded nor trust in uncertain riches, but in the living God who giveth us richly all things to enjoy. So there again is that warning not to trust in riches, which was point two. But then it goes on to say that they do good, that they be rich in good works, ready to distribute, willing to communicate, laying up in store for themselves a good foundation against the time to come that they may lay hold on eternal life. So don't place your trust. But the opposite of that greedy, selfish, clenched fist is a generous hand, an open hand. And here we see that God is pleased with generosity. Here in verse 18, this ready to distribute, willing to communicate. We could say ready to give and willing to share. That open hand, willing to share. God gives, God takes away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. What we have is a gift. How do we share? Turn to Matthew 6 again. And I'm going to have another object lesson before I read that. So, do you notice that we use fiber offering baskets? Not dishpans. I've seen some nice wooden ones around and they're always lined with felt. So if this is the temple treasury and I walk past get some attention, wouldn't it? 
wasn't just a little bit. That was a lot, in fact. Hey, everybody, watch. <laughs> you know, I've, I've got it, you know. How's that compared to the lady that walked past and put in her too? Matthew 6, 1 to 4. Take heed that you do not your alms before men to be seen of them. Otherwise, ye have no reward of your Father which is in heaven. Therefore, when thou dost, doest thine alms, do not sound a trumpet before thee as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and in the streets, that they may have glory of men. Verily I say unto you, they have their reward. But when thou doest thine alms, let not thy left hand know what thy right hand doeth, that thine alms may be in secret, and thy Father which seeth in secret himself shall reward thee openly. And then if we go to Mark chapter 12, Jesus was sitting there where this illustration would come from. In verse 41, it says, And Jesus sat over against the treasury and beheld how the people cast money into the treasury. And many that were rich cast in much. And there came a certain poor widow and threw in two mites, which make a farthing. And he called unto him his disciples and said unto them, Verily I say unto you that this poor widow hath cast more in than all they which have cast into the treasury. For all they did cast in of their abundance, but she of her want did cast in all that she had even all her living. We don't give to impress others. And it's not so much how much we give as how and why. If we live with an open hand, we realize that what we have is God's. And we want to see ways that we can bless others with it. No, we don't have to become my, my vocabulary lacks at the moment, but when the offering plate goes, we don't have to make sure that our $100 bill has the numbers all down so nobody can see what it is, except now they're blue and not green. Or our 20 isn't visible. No, we don't wave it around, but pride just would turn anything upside down. Humility, we give. We don't do it to be seen. We don't do it to draw attention. But we give because God has given to us and we want to share. Turn with me yet to, first, to 2 Corinthians chapter 9. This is a passage speaking of, of giving, but it's in the context of sowing and reaping. And it's very challenging and very encouraging at the same time. Beginning of verse 6. It says, But this I say, He which soweth sparingly shall reap also sparingly, and he which soweth Bountifully shall reap also bountifully. Every man according as he purposeth in his heart, so let him give, not grudgingly or of necessity, for God loveth a cheerful giver. And God is able to make all grace abound toward you, that ye, having all sufficiency in all things, may abound to every good work. Just pausing there. It seems like he's saying, God wants us to give. Cheerfully, not out of compulsion and not grudgingly, but cheerfully. And God then is able to make all grace abound toward you. God can provide everything that you need. This poor widow gave in all her living, 
But do you think she starved a few days later? I really doubt it. I think God provided for her needs. God is able to provide. Verse 9, as it is written, he hath dispersed abroad, he hath given to the poor, his righteousness remaineth forever. And that's a quote from Psalm 112. And then going on, my Bible has a parenthesis around verses 9 through 10, but I see a, a change here. He says, now he that ministereth seed to the sower, both minister bread for your food and multiply your seed sown and increase the fruits of your righteousness. I almost see that as a blessing that, that Paul is writing to them. As you give, God bless you abundantly for your generosity. In verse 11, being enriched in everything to all bountifulness, which causeth through us thanksgiving to God. And I think that's when those that were in need received the gift that these shared with, with I think there, was, there were needs that they were providing. It brought thanksgiving to God. It brought a blessing to God's name. And perhaps if they were in need and they were praying that God would provide, this was a work of God, working through others to stimulate generosity on their part to meet needs. And God could receive praise and glory in that. One of the things that this man I mentioned earlier was, was decrying was the, I'm not sure which church official, priest or what, but blessing the congregation's wallets with the idea to receive more as a church. Um, I'm not quite sure what, but it was said it was a focus on financial gain in the church setting um, and these mega churches and all that they they desire to have and build and grow and these leaders that have six-figure salaries and whatnot and that was a real turnoff and I don't want to bless your wallet but that's kind of what Paul did here and that he said God is able to make these things abound God bless you as you give and I want to bless you as you consider the physical world we live in, the things that we need, the things that we have to have. All of us need a bit of treasure. We need to provide for our daily needs. And we're to work to have, to provide, and to give, Scripture says. But our treasure and what we do with it is a witness. It's a witness, number one, to God, because He knows where that treasure is. And He doesn't say, where your heart is, that's where your treasure is. This is where your treasure is, is where your heart is. You can say all you want to, well, my heart's really not in this treasure. But he says, no, it's where your treasure is, that's how I know where your heart is. It's a witness to him of where we are. And it's also a witness to those around us of where we are in our, in our relationship to God and our trust in him. And they can, they can glorify God by how we use our treasure.